new priest, a new law, a new covenant. Happy Monday and welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. As we get to Hebrews 7 in our reading, we get the feeling that Paul, or whoever you think wrote the letter, is trying to pulverize any pretext for returning to Judaism. So far, he's proven from the scriptures that Jesus is superior to Moses, to Abraham, even to angels, and he's continuing to elevate Christ above all human priests. Jim's message is, New High Priest from the Tribe of Judah. One of the things we're going to talk about tonight as we turn to the book of Hebrews is the center of the controversy. That's what we're going to talk about. But it won't sound like I'm talking about the center of the controversy here because I want us to shift our minds tonight. I want us to shift our focus for the next few minutes to a very deep and incredibly important topic, one that we often just overlook in our study of Scripture. Turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews, and I think it's chapter 6 where I'd like you to join me. Hebrews chapter 6. In our last visit together, we were talking about this man from the Old Testament who's called Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Now, the whole point of talking about Melchizedek, who was a priest, a high priest in the Old Testament, is to tell us something about Jesus. Jesus right now. That's why we go to Hebrews 6, and look with me, please, at verse 19. We have this hope. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope, like a sure and firm anchor of the soul that enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf, as a forerunner, because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the writer's not talking about the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He's talking about the Temple of God in heaven. He's talking about the right hand of the Father who is sitting on the throne of the universe. That's where Jesus has entered, and he's there. He's there now. He's there now. So what's the significance of that? And what's he doing there now? He's not, he's not dying for our sins. He's already done that. That's already done. What's he doing there? Well, he's become a high priest. We just don't often think about Jesus as being a high priest. We don't even think of Jesus often about being a priest, Savior, Lord, Creator, those things, yes, we're comfortable with that language. But what does it mean that Jesus, right now at this moment, has already entered into the heaven of heavens, and he's there functioning as a high priest? That's the topic we're going to work on tonight. And it's going to lead us to some very controversial conclusions. Last time we were together, we talked about this man, Melchizedek. And we discovered that he is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, once with Abraham, way back before Isaac was born. And then he's mentioned a second time in a psalm where God is quoted as saying, I have made you a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, speaking about Messiah, speaking about Jesus. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to take that 
And he's going to expand upon that, and he's going to take us places where we might be surprised. You ready? Look with me, please. Chapter 7, verse 4. The first three verses give us a physical description of the descriptors or the qualities that are told us in the Old Testament about this man, Melchizedek, whose priesthood followed a different course or a different system than the Levitical priesthood did in the temple of Jerusalem. But we'll get there in just a minute. Verse 4. Now consider how great this man was to whom even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they have also descended from Abraham, that is, the brothers who are being taxed by the Levites, are also descendants from Abraham. What gives these Levite brothers the authority to collect this tithe from all the other sons, descendants of Abraham, all the other 12 tribes? It's the law. It says it right there. It says right there. They have a commandment according to the law, and they are to collect a tithe from every other one of the Israelis. And that tithe maintains the function of the temple. They are brothers in that they are co-descendants from Abraham, but because of the law, the Levites, the descendants of Levi, actually the priests, the priests who are the descendants not only of Levi, but the descendants of Aaron, who was one of Levi's son's descendants. Those priests have a commandment, a legal responsibility, a legal authority to impose a tithe tax on all the other Israelis there. Verse 6, but one without this lineage, one without this lineage means somebody who wasn't a descendant of Levi. Somebody who wasn't a descendant of Levi, therefore not qualified by the law to collect taxes from anybody, but one without this lineage collected tithes from Abraham. Abraham paid a tenth of the spoils to Melchizedek when he met him. Did it voluntarily. Melchizedek received those tithes and then blessed Abraham, the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the writer goes on to argue, the inferior is blessed by the superior. Okay, who's the superior in this exchange between Melchizedek and Abraham? Who's the, who's the superior? Melchizedek. Melchizedek demonstrates that his ministry as a priest positions him in a superior position, and he is from that position the receiver of a tithe that Abraham willingly gives, and in response, he blesses Abraham. He gives a pronouncement of blessing. Now, that doesn't mean happy birthday. When in the Old Testament, blessings were conveyed, when blessings were spoken, they were intended to convey substantive advantages to the one who received the blessing. Now, Abraham has already been blessed by God when he, before he met Melchizedek. He, he's, got, 
he's got the Abrahamic covenant. God has already given him that. So Melchizedek comes out as representing a superior priesthood out of which he is able to pronounce a blessing upon Abraham, who is the person God chose with whom to make this covenant. That's profound. Keep that in mind. Melchizedek is superior to Abraham, even though Abraham is the one to whom God gave the promise of the Messiah, the blessing, the land, and ultimately all nations will be blessed through Abraham. Not Melchizedek, through Abraham. Remember that. But remember that in that exchange, Melchizedek is the superior, Abraham is the inferior. In the one case, men who will die receive tithes. What's that mean? That means that the descendants of Levi, the descendants of Aaron, actually died. They had to keep electing or appointing a new high priest. They had to keep replacing priests because the priests under the Levitical system died. In the one case, the Levitical system, men will die, but they receive tithes. They are empowered by the law, even though they are going to die. They receive power from the law to receive tithes. You getting tight yet? Hold on. But in the other case, the case of Melchizedek, Scripture testifies that he lives. That does not mean that Melchizedek never died. What it means is, from the testimony of the witness of Scripture, what we know about Melchizedek, we never hear of Melchizedek dying. He appears in Scripture, meets Abraham. This exchange takes place. Melchizedek is never spoken of again until about a thousand years later in the Psalms, where God uses Melchizedek as an example of the kind of priesthood that Jesus would exercise. And it's different than the kind of exercise that the Levitical priests had in the temple. Hang on, it gets a whole lot deeper before we come up for air. All right, now watch, now watch. In a sense, Levi himself, who receives tithes under the law as priests, has paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still within his forefather when Melchizedek met him. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold on there. You see what the argument is? Abraham, when he met Melchizedek, Abraham, Abraham would have a son. What's his name? Come on, Abraham, Isaac. Isaac would have a son, Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons. One of them would be Levi. Levi would go down to Egypt for 400 years, and his descendants would come out of Egypt with Moses and go to Mount Sinai, and not until then would Levite's descendants be qualified as priests because there wasn't any tabernacle to Mount Canaan. Got that? So Abraham is 500 years before Levi has his priesthood. And Abraham is dead before Levi is born as his, what, great-grandson, right? 
Is that right? Abraham, let's see, Isaac, Jacob, Levi. Is that right? A great-grandson? The point is, the writer says Levi was in Abraham's loins. Tell me what that means. That means that in the, in the argument being made, the priesthood that developed at Mount Sinai under the giving of the law, which qualified and required the Levites and the priests to collect a tithe from each of the other fellow Israelis. You got that? Levi, that Levi was actually present in the loins of Abraham. In the loins? Now, you need to see that picture because there's a larger application of that truth that will help you understand God's way of viewing life. It means that Levi was bound up in the DNA <laughs> that eventually DNA of Abraham and Sarah so that eventually their son Isaac would have Jacob Jacob would have Levi, and Levi's descendants down here coming out of Egypt 500 years later were actually present and represented in what Abraham did when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now turn around to the friend behind you and say, I don't get that at all, Custer's flip. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, just turn, turn around. Don't look. Turn around and look at your neighbor. Say, he, he doesn't, he's, off, he's off his whacker. He doesn't know. And the reason it's important for you to do that is because this Sunday is what? Mother's Day. Oh. So I'll be able to stand up Sunday morning and say, do you know in whose loins you were hiding 500 years ago? See, today, today in our systems of social whatever, parents are discounted. From God's point of view, parents are everything. Everything. Now, let me give you another illustration of this same biblical principle that may be more familiar to you. We're reading, for instance, I think it's in the book of Romans. Well, I know it's in 1 Corinthians. It says, in Adam, all in Adam, all in Adam, all sinned or died. <laughs> I mean, you were dead before you were alive. Come on, come on. I'm not the only one that's flipped. No, if you're going to understand the, the, what, what's being said here, and the powerful, the, the powerful bottom line here in just a minute, you need to understand that you and I lived in Adam. And when Adam ate the apple, you were confirmed a sinner. You hadn't taken a breath yet. And when you came into the stream of conscious life in the womb of your mother, when that happened, you materialized, you were already preconditioned 
by something that Adam did way back there in the garden. You're affected by that. And that's true universally. Everybody is affected by that. So when God looked at a plan to redeem humanity from the, from the sin mess we, we, ha, we found ourselves in to correct Adam's big transgression, God sent a new Adam. His name's Jesus. And he was born, conceived in the womb of his mother, who was a virgin. He by his one act of death, could embody everyone who had already been embodied in Adam, even people that haven't died yet. And at the cross, Jesus, by one sacrifice for sin, could provide salvation for everybody, including Adam. You see that? Your head swimming? Okay, that's the point in this passage. The point is that when Abraham honored Melchizedek by giving him tithes, by accepting the blessing, Abraham was acting as the representative of Levi who was in his loins at that time. We would probably feel more comfortable saying in his DNA, in his genetic possibility. It's not saying that Levi was floating around inside of Abraham in a little angelic form. It's not what it's saying. It's saying that Levi would come out of that same person who was Abraham. And what Abraham did is attributed to Levi. So Levi actually paid tithes to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek in his priesthood, is a representative, he is an example of the high priestly ministry that Jesus has today. Oh, we're not done yet. You want to get a cup of coffee? I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> the next phrase gets, gets I think, even, even more interesting. Now watch. If then, we're back in Hebrews 7, verse 11. If then... Perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise in the order of Melchizedek and not be described as being in the order of Aaron? Here's the question in West Virginia ease. If the law God gave at Mount Sinai by which the Levitical priesthood was instituted. And the priest became the person who mediated between God and his covenants, purposes, and plans, and the people in their iniquitous, sinful separation. The priest, and especially the high priest, became the nexus, the point where what he did in obedience to God provided an atonement for the sins of all the people who are under that covenant. That's what the high priest did. And that high priest's offering was acceptable to God, and God responded to that activity which the high priest did 
seeing in that activity a promise of a future Lamb of God whose name is Jesus. Now, that whole system then, hang on to your boots, the whole system of the law at Mount Sinai, if it could have brought about perfection, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? What's that saying? That's saying the fact that God spoke through the prophet in Psalm 110 and said, I have made you a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek is a harbinger, it's a forewarning, it's an advance notice that the whole Levitical priestly system and the law upon which it was founded can't accomplish its ultimate goal of bringing you, me, them to perfection with God. Got it? <laughs> now, I love this, but I can tell some of you are a little under the water right now. Let's take two more steps and then we'll come up and stay up, okay? Notice, verse 12, for when there is a change of the priesthood, if you're going to change the priesthood so that you have a different kind of priestly system or the order, it's called the order of Melchizedek, if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to, to create an order, a priestly order, after Melchizedek's example, and Melchizedek was not out Mount Sinai. He was not part of the covenant people that met God there at Sinai and received the law and built the tabernacle. If you're going to do that, he says, when you do that, he says, when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. Let me put that in ordinary French. When Jesus rose from the dead, a new priestly order was established in which he is high priest. And when his high priestlyhood was established, it made the law and the Levitical priesthood obsolete. If you were a Jewish Christian in the first century looking for an escape clause, a rationalization for fleeing the persecution you were under and going back to your old, comfortable ways, you weren't going to get it from Paul. He's casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Today, Jim has taught about the new high priest from the tribe of Judah. That message will come to you on CD for a gift of $7 or more. It belongs to a series entitled God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. For a contribution of $66 or more, we'll send you the entire study on an album of 19 CDs. Ordering details in a second. This ministry is powered by prayer and faith and the willingness of some listeners to share their finances with us. Thanks to those of you who have come to our aid. There's always more to be done, so please be encouraged to join in if you'd like to help. You can mail us at Right Start. P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. 
or call us at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And visit our website, rightstartradio.org. There you'll see lots of audio resources. You can play radio programs, play or download the complete sermons, and follow the link to start receiving the Right Start podcast. You'll notice a way to donate online and a way to email us. And you won't have more spam in your inbox if you do. Rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Jim will conclude this message tomorrow. We hope you choose to join us again for the next Right Start. Right Start.